Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us to discuss our Week in Review this week are our normal guests, uh, Michael Zellin, former federal prosecutor, bon vivant, musician, uh, par excellent, and well, at least a music lover par excellent, and John Bennett, man about town, <laughs> for, for editor at large for CQ Roll Call, and he has a weekly column that we love you to take a look at. And we're here this week to unpack a couple of things. First of all, uh, Joe Biden's running. Guess what? Mike Pence testifies. Biden gets advanced questions at a press conference, and then threatens to blow the shit out of North Korea. <laughs> Trump won't show up in a civil case. Trump's on the stump in New Hampshire, and Baltimore lost its media battle with the Nets. Nats. Oh, my God. So much to talk about, right? Well, we'll talk about that and much more, so stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Once again with us, uh, editor-at-large from CQ Row Call, John Bennett, and former federal prosecutor, Michael Zeldin. And Michael brought up something in the break, so I'm going to bring it up first. We started out this wonderful week with Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon getting blown out at CNN and Fox. And the fallout since then, uh, since then, of course, Tucker Carlson is produced a proof of life video from the, his basement <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it may be I, I don't know it looked like from a steamer trunk or a cedar closet i don't know but he produced a video don lemon has been quiet on his ouster from from cnn although his uh former uh co-anchors uh, uh feeded him after he left so we're here to talk about that much more hey, since you brought it up michael i'll let you be the first to comment on that, those ousters. What you got, brother? Well, what interested me most about Tucker Carlson is I believe that presentation that he made that you called In a Bunker, I don't know where it was, but I think it was on Rumble. I think that was wow. the platform um, that he used. Now, that's Glenn Greenwald's um, platform. And so, you know, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald is a very interesting, independent-minded journalist who has taken on corporate media. And what was interesting to me about Tucker Carlson's speech was he, in fact, gave a Glenn Greenwald-like corporate media consolidation 
um, is terrible mm -hmm. and independent voices are being lost as a consequence. Whether or not you like the content of the voice, I think he is saying there is an absence of independence in uh, uh, the state-owned, sort of, if you will, corporate-owned media. And that's state, by me disagreeing. Well, I understand that, and and that's why <laughs> that's why I raise it. So if if Tucker, you know, is going to go instead of to Newsmax or OAN or some other uh, conservative outlet, and instead go with Greenwald and start to build a a new platform with him, I think that's a very interesting uh, development. So we'll see how that is. You know, why he got fired is not as interesting to me as what is he going to do next? Because that um, video, when I last looked, you guys know how to check this better than me, but when I last looked, which was a day or so ago, that had 7 million views. And I'll bet it's higher now. I think it's like around 20 or something, isn't it? Or maybe I, even higher. I don't know. But yeah. all I'm saying is that if I'm right that it was on Rumble, and you guys, again, can fact check me, um, and he's talking, as I heard it, about the lack of independent voices in corporate-run media because of the message that they don't want people to hear, this is a whole new world um, that they may be building. John? <laughs> that is certainly interesting. I think Michael is spot on, and I think... Um, so sometimes in this business, we have to rank really bad things. And Don Don Lemon and uh, Tucker Carlson have both um, um, more on Lemon's side allegedly done things. But we know what Tucker has said on the air and, and we know uh, what kind of role he's played in, in politics and culture. So um, you could you could argue that what Tucker has done broader is is worse than what Don Lemon has done. But Tucker, to me, like Michael said, uh, is the bigger get on the free agent market. And I don't, these aren't. He's I like the Aaron Rodgers. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, Aaron Rodgers was not a free agent. Aaron Rodgers yeah. was free to find a trade. Uh, this is different now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think he's the bigger draw. He's the bigger get because, as Michael alluded to, he's going to bring an audience. Now, he's not going to bring. You know, the gigantic Fox primetime audience. I don't think that's realistic. You know, 70, 70, 60, 70 year old people aren't going to flow to some streaming service, but he'll get younger people. Um, he can do podcasts, downloads. You can sell those. So I do think Carlson is is probably the is, is probably looking at a more lucrative post television career. He's been fired by all the cable networks, by the way. So he's probably, yeah, I was done, waiting for someone. To... <laughs> he's probably done there. Um, you know, he's done I, the hat trick. <laughs> I couldn't rule out something like a news nation. They've already got Chris Cuomo. They've got Elizabeth Vargas. They've got Dan Abrams. Maybe they want to make a splash. He'll have to take a big pay cut, but I don't know what this, at this point, if if the money is as important to Tucker, he's got money. Or if continuing to have voice influence uh, is is more important to him. News Nation is trying to grow. Streaming might be better for him because it can go straight to here. It can go straight into everybody's device. Um, so I do think Tucker is up to something. You you can't say Tucker Carlson is is a stupid person. So he's got well, something. I can. 
He's got some business acumen, though. Yeah. In that way, he knows what he's doing. He's created this character, and that character is not done because we're heading into a presidential election. And, well, maybe Tucker 2024 is going to come into play here. Maybe he's going to run for president, at least to get his name back out there. Well, that wouldn't have that wouldn't be unusual. That's why Trump did it. But <laughs> but listen, I'll, I'll. And how did that turn out, bro? Yeah, that's yeah. We're st we're still talking about that. Um, the post the post apprentice career that he was looking for, he became the forty fifth president. Yeah, so stranger things have happened. That's true. Uh, but I'll only say to uh, Michael as he sucks down on his CNN mug. I will only say that. Um, yeah. Uh, there is a need for independent voices and even Tucker's is, uh, I guess, vital. But I think that what we miss in that is a lying, thieving, conniving prick that Tucker Carlson is. And that that kind of voice, I would hope that an independent voice would be far more responsible. But as to the issue of independent voices and the problems with uh, corporate media, yeah, those exist. And him speaking to it is fine, but he's speaking to it for his own, um, for his own worth or his own wealth and his own uh, platform. I don't think he's speaking to it for the, for the betterment of the of uh, independent media in general. Though it, I guess you could make the argument that having an independent voice, even if it's Tucker's, is important. I I don't I won't disagree with that, but I would like to see. As far as independent media, I would like to just see a busting. Well, you know, I've I've said that many times, busting up the media monopolies, and that. Anyway, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about that. You said you don't know independent voices, but you're not sure about Tucker's. You know, we're all First Amendment guys here. Uh, Tucker has a right. Uh, yes, he does. You know, so I I, I I'm torn. I think here it because... should be responsible. I I, I yeah. I, I'm okay. torn too. I, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, I want independent voices. On the other hand, I want them to be responsible independent sure. voices and yeah. not actors pretending and, and goading people into things that they know are, are lies and fiction. And that's right. our responsibility as, and look, all three of us in some extent, you know, in, in, in this realm are public figures. And we, we have a responsibility to the public to try and, and prevent, present vetted facts and our opinions based on vetted facts. And when we know things are wrong, we don't promote lies. So, um, yeah, I think his, his independent voice is important, but I think, you know, the responsibility that with, with all the, what, what was that in Spider-Man, you know, comes great responsibility. <laughs> so I, right. I think that responsibility, we, and there's no way, I don't think there's any way to enforce that. So can yeah. I add one thing about this? Sure. Um, and then we probably should uh, move on. Don Lemon is sort of a footnote in this conversation in the sense that he was fired, uh, I think, for political reasons. I don't think they wanted his his confrontational style in the morning um, show. And they, well, were they didn't want it at night either because they got rid of him there, too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, less less interesting to me. I like Don Lemon. He He's a friend. I texted him after. He got fired and told him I was sorry, et cetera. But I want to go back to, um, and he'll find a place. Maybe he'll go to News Nation. Yeah. He had a yeah. divorce from Chris Cuomo that was pretty ugly when Cuomo got fired. Don did not have Chris's back, not be not at all standing there, their bromance on, on air. 
So I don't know, that may not work unless they can really patch things up. And money, money always helps. But so the, the thing that I wanted to say about Carlson is this. As you know, when I started doing TV back in the Clinton Lewinsky uh, period, I was on a lot with Tucker. And he was a much more sane, um, thoughtful um, guy. After three firings and, and you know, sort of, you know, clinging to last hopes uh, with Fox, that was the only station that was sort of left for him. He became this um, cartoon. Uh, I don't know what he was, an actor of some of some sort uh, and, and a horrible and he played a horrible role. Um but notwithstanding that, he did cover things that you don't see covered on other stations. He did cover Assange, Julian Assange, uh, for a while um, uh, and continued to cover him. So he did have an independent um, voice on some issues. So my wonderment is whether Tucker will revert back to what he once was um, and get rid of this cartoonish, misogynistic anti-immigration um, sort of cartoon character that he played on on Fox. Well, I would welcome that. And 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 that and so he's got he's at a crossroads. He can become he he can become a, a thoughtful, independent minded um, commentator um, and go to Rumble or someplace that is thoughtful like that. Or he can cash in and have a, you know, a sort of streaming Spotify sort of ranting type of uh, show um, that we've seen a lot on, you know, right wing, the Rush Limbaugh type, Joe Rogan type. Um, and he could do that. He's got, but so he's at this crossroads and roads and I'm be interesting to see um, which road he travels. He probably should get him a copy of Robert Frost. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get him a copy of free the press. We're going to yeah. move on to uh um, our, our current president, Joe Biden, this week would, had a, a rare press conference in the uh, Rose Garden with the president of South Korea, notable for two events. Uh, one was, and I, you know, I sat there in the third row of this press conference out in the heat sink that is the Rose Garden. <laughs> and uh, John, you've been out there. It doesn't matter what day of the year it is. It could be the coldest day of the year and it's going to still be 150 degrees and sunny in the Rose Garden. And uh, so we were sitting there, and one of the things that uh, popped up was the the new agreement between South Korea and the United States. And basically, the president of the United States saying something I haven't heard a president say in my lifetime, uh, although Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis was close. And he said, if North Korea decides to use any nuclear weapons, that'll be the end of that regime, whoever they are, extending a huge huge threat you know don't fuck with the big dog or if you mess with the bull you get the horns um bringing about the real the realization that a president said this in the rose garden in public ups the ante for and brings us closer to nuclear uh problems and nuclear disaster than at any time in my life north korea i mean threatening north korea i mean the guy's a freaking lunatic nobody knows what he's actually going to do um so john you heard it and you and i talked about it you were as surprised as i was yes yeah i was on the hill i was working in a press gallery i was, I was watching the the press conference uh remotely 
and almost uh, almost hit my head on the the desk in my workspace. Um, you know, we're as I wrote in uh, that afternoon in CQ Afternoon Briefing Newsletter. You can there's a plug CQ.com. <laughs> as I wrote immediately, we are a long way from the days of Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un saying they love each other, writing yeah. letters, and having a uh, having a date outing to the DMZ. We're so far away. We're eons away from that. And it just it just goes to show you the difference in approach uh, between Biden and, and Trump. Trump thought he could charm Kim into giving up his nuclear program. And Biden's Biden's never been under that. What feels like a delusion now. And and Joe Biden, that's a doctrine. And we in the media, this is a criticism. Uh, I usually defend us, but this is, we're so enamored with Donald Trump that the coverage was, you know, Biden said uh, Trump's a threat to democracy or Biden said he would run even if Trump didn't run, that we missed this. You and I didn't, Brian. Pat ourselves yep. on the back. That's a doctrine. Joe Biden has now, a, the Biden doctrine is if you fire a nuke, we're going to wipe you off the planet. That's a big deal. Yeah, well, so, regime. At least he he would target the regime in Pyongyang um, for elimination. And but that, we've often had the, the the big thing is we've often had this uh, mutual the the idea was mad mutual assured destruction. And if someone launches one, someone else will launch one, and pretty soon we're all gone. So you don't launch first. Right. And I, and I had people that were complaining well yeah but he's only going to launch if they launch i go well we're not a first strike nation we never said fuck you we're going to launch first we right always and, said that we're going to defend and, ourselves and the new approach that he and president yoon from south korea announced you know it's always been assumed that you know south korean conventional forces there's a lot of american-made weaponry there yeah um, would be backed up by u.s nukes I don't recall it ever being as explicit as a fact sheet emailed out from the White House press shop. Yeah, and, then, and then Yoon, you know, Yoon, significant that Biden let Yoon go on and on about it in depth in the yeah. Rose Garden. So, you know, this is... Before he sang American Pie by Don McClain. <laughs> right. right. So, so I thought that was significant, the announcement that, okay, formally, you know, our nuclear submarines are over there. Their F-16s go in, try to do it, and 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 if that doesn't do the job, then fuck mm. it, screw it, we're firing. Michael? <laughs> so I want to I wanna read you guys something from September 2017, which was Donald Trump's first address to the United Nations. Oh. <laughs> Donald Trump's first address to the United Nations in 2017, he says, quote, if the righteous many do not confront the wicked few, an evil will triumph. Rocket Man, his um, nickname for uh, oh. Kim Jong-un, Rocket Man is on a suicide mission. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we'll have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Yes. So in 2017, Donald Trump was saying the same thing that you're saying, Biden is saying, which is so, so new. No, the difference was he did, that, it with, he did it with the South Korean president by his side in the in the Rose Garden and didn't. And so far hasn't kissed up to Kim Jong-un afterwards 
and get sent him love letters. No, I understand that. But if we're, if we're, you're saying he's announced a new policy of total destruction, Trump announced that same policy hmm. in at the United Nations. Point taken. But before he reversed it. Well, I understand that. Yeah. But, but Biden may reverse it, too. He may get a love letter and, and reverse <laughs> it, too. But all I'm saying is that oh, you the, believe initial, the initial words out of both presidents' mouths are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And when you know you compare and contrast there there there's a there's a comparison there that is you know sort of equal and so i'm not sure how profound this is because it's been said since 2017 so well, I'll period it. of 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 love letters those of which probably are in the documents at Mar-a-Lago yeah. at the, that National Archives was back. That's right. <laughs> they are. The profundity of it boils down to this. In a press conference with a South Korean president by his side in the Rose Garden, independent of any international stage, and spelling it out in such detail, as John pointed out, even to the point of saying we're sending our nuclear submarines there. It is far more, first of all, I guess you could say that everything that Donald Trump says you you take with a grain of salt anyway, but that's a different point. You're speaking to your point about it being similar. Yes, it's similar in tone. Knowing the two people as we all do, I think it's similar in, it's not similar in substance. I believe the substance of what of Bi- of what Biden is saying and the way it was said brought, brought to me, at least, sitting there in the third row in front of the man, far different feelings than what I heard from Donald Trump when he was in office. So let me say this. What I thought was the more significant thing that Biden said recently in, about international relations is that if Taiwan were attacked, we oh, would send yeah. we would send troops. Yeah, that is a, f- a fundamentally important statement that we would we we're not sending boots on the ground in Ukraine. We didn't send them in Serbia, uh, you know, at all during the Clinton period um, I, that I remember. Maybe we did, but um, sending troops on the ground to to fight a chinese invasion of taiwan really when we have a one china policy <clears throat> really you know so anyway in terms of things said by biden in the international arena in that part of the world the boots on the ground in taiwan was that which made me sit up well that and uh, go ahead john i was just going to go back to um what really changed with trump and kim was Trump, I'm sorry, Kim learned from folks like Shinzo Abe, uh, the late Japanese prime minister, he went to flattery with Trump and that got Trump off his back. Trump thinks he's on his way to disarming Kim. They're they're walking almost hand in hand in the DMZ and trading love letters back and forth. Meantime, Kim's making nukes the whole time. That's not going to work with Joe Biden. That's the one of the big differences here. That yeah. Joe Biden's not going to he's not going to fall for that. If he gets no. a love letter, he's not going to fall for that. No, I I think Joe's beyond love. 
in that regard. I, he's got Jill. He doesn't need anything else. But um, Philly girl. But, but John, Did you know he but, married a Philly girl? Yeah, Philly girl. <laughs> but so, John, what do you think of the Taiwan statement, though? Yeah, I think that's a huge deal. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, he's he needs uh, he needs uh, President Xi in China uh, for various things, and and he needs to to let Xi know that he means business, and that's certainly one way to do it um you know i i overheard uh chairman mike mccall uh house foreign affairs chairman talking to another member on the hill recently he went to taiwan during the last recess and you know he said the chinese military surrounded the island at one point these were exercises clearly designed to do just what you're talking about um and i believe you know biden clearly saw that intelligence and uh, I believe he was sending a message to Xi um, by also warning Kim like this. Biden's flexing his muscles in the region, because if you warn Kim, you're also warning Xi. Uh, Kim has one ally in the world, and that's Xi Jinping. So Biden Biden is trying to keep Xi in check. Uh, good luck. One way to do that, um, you know, is to squeeze his economy. That's how you get the Chinese uh, attention. Uh, another way to do it is by the economic balls. Yeah. And, you know, China doesn't want our nuclear submarines that close to their waters either or their land either. So, um, you know, Biden's trying to flex his muscles here. And I think it's Xi's move. We saw Xi this week call uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky. So he's at least going through the motions, maybe a little more there. Biden, if anyone's going to back off Vladimir Putin, it's Xi Jinping. You know, the next time Biden talks to Xi uh, remotely or in person and she's like, hey, you know, it, it isn't great for me internally when you uh, when you say these things, Joe. Then Joe says, well, if you want me to back off, why don't you call your buddy Vlad and and tell him to get this thing over with in Ukraine? So I think Biden is playing a long game and he I've written recently. I think he's playing chess. We'll see. Yeah, if he I can win. I'll, I'll end this segment with the. Everything that we've discussed does not deter me from my initial opinion that we live in the very dangerous times and the most dangerous and the closest we've been to nuclear conflagration in my adulthood. I don't think it's been this dangerous since the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. And I remember our next door neighbor building a bomb shelter in the backyard at that point in time. And so that's, you know, I, I don't think it's ever been nearly as dangerous as it is now. And it takes solid and it's not just it's not our fault. It's it's it, I mean, we've contributed to it, but I think there's a steady hand. I would much rather have Biden in this regard uh, dealing with it than than uh, send me a love letter, you know, Trump. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you, did we contribute to it or not? What about the America first years? What about Trump pulling America back from the global stage. So I think we did contribute to it. Yeah. Yes. I don't yeah. think it's entirely our fault, but yeah. They felt emboldened. Yeah. We, yeah. we let, and we let, and by the way, and the current problems with the, the, uh, the debt ceiling are contributing to international problems with people pulling mm -hmm. out of the, out of uh, dollars using dollars as currency because they don't know if they can trust, you know, the American dollar right now. Sure. I think there's a huge, Every and and I think the Republicans are part and parcel part of that problem, and I think Donald Trump added to it. With the that, Chinese, the Chinese and the Russians love it when we're distracted with ourselves. Oh and, yeah, and that's well, really that's you know some of the Obama years, but especially the Trump years, and still now. 
Um, you know, they, they, you know, China set up this whole global fake diplomacy thing to fleece other countries while we were arguing about America first and what did Trump tweet this morning? Yeah. Michael, last word before I go to break. So we're at the halfway point and I want the listening audience to know that John Bennett said of me twice that I'm absolutely right. So I just, <laughs> I just, and, I, and I Michael, made, you are absolutely right. He said it twice. <laughs> yes, yes. Not so that I he's counting or anything. I just want the listening audience to know I may retire now and, oh. and that'll be on my tombstone. Absolutely right twice. Wow. And with that in mind, we'll take a what short an honor. break. We'll be yeah. right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question before we went to break. We were talking about a press conference and the fallout from that with Joe Biden, a very rare press conference. The other thing that happened in that very rare press conference, mind you, this is only the third one I've seen at the White House. Um, two of them were full press conferences, one during COVID, uh, where there were 10 or 12 reporters present, uh, and he stayed for about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, the second one, he stayed for about 30 minutes, took questions from 10 reporters. Although I encouraged him, I, I remember pointing at him saying, you don't have to follow that list, Mr. President. And he smiled at me and did it anyway. Um, and so yesterday, well, this week, it was a two-by-two two bilateral uh, press conference with uh, our, our singing friend from South Korea. And one of the things that came up in that press conference was him getting advanced questions. Now, I was sitting next to Courtney from the LA Times and her and the, MB, I think it was ABC reporter, were conferring with each other before they asked their questions. Um, I, I, they were discussing the two questions that they were going to ask the president. It was odd then to see a handout in the hand of the president with a pronunciation guide and a photograph of Courtney before she asked him damn near word for word what he had written down on paper. Um, John, you've been, you've covered the White House. I'll save my thoughts on this for a bit, but yours as you. Sure. A lot of thoughts on this. Um, the, 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 the face card as it's called and the pronunciation in my experience, is not unprecedented. No, I, Reagan did it. Reagan did it. Trump did it. I was on Trump's face card in the Rose Garden one time. He was going. I was in the second row. It was going to happen. It was. We were in the heat sink, as you accurately called it. He looked right at. He looked at his card. He looked me dead in the eye and kind of nodded at me. Then he looked the foreign, the whoever the leader was. I don't recall. Trump glanced over there. The other leader was answering a question, and I thought it was my moment to get my handkerchief, mop my brow, and Trump glanced back at me and looked disgusted that I dared <laughs> sweat on a hot day. And he didn't call on me. He went down the sheet and called on somebody else. I was, I'm still upset about that. But so that goes to show that 
that part of it isn't uncommon. Now, we a separate conversation is whether that's appropriate. Now, they're, the staff is trying to protect the boss. They don't want him saying, Courtney, 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 and looking around and can't find him. It's All the, the question on the paper that, that is. Right. Okay. Let's get to that. Let's get to that. I was I have not been to a press conference, uh, at least not yet, with Joe Biden as president. I did attend uh, press conferences regularly with President Obama and President Trump. Both administrations called me at various points and said, if you were to get a question, what topic, not your question, we don't need that, but what topic or topics are you interested in to, and, and, and hearing from the president about? And, you know, being CQ roll call, usually they were Congress-related, debt ceiling, government shutdown, a bill in Congress. Um, I have a foreign policy and defense background. Sometimes I mentioned foreign policy uh, issues that were going on. But I never gave a question. So that's that that's too far. If, if that was agreed to, in my opinion, that's too far. Now, the thing about giving them one topic, and if the president wants to talk about that, you get two questions. So you can ask him a second question that he doesn't know anything about. So journalistically, I don't I never had a problem giving one topic because then I could ask him about something else, and that was more off the cuff. A more off the cuff exchange. And this is not a pure profession. It's not a pure trade. Sometimes we have to do this stuff to get that second question. It's a tactic. It's a strategy. And I don't have any problem with the topic, but I would never give somebody, no, if, it's one thing if you agreed it to written questions and answers, which I've done over the years, I don't love it, but I've done it, but not like this. I think, I think it was just a little too far. Um, and I wish we could come to a consensus amongst ourselves uh, to push back on the Biden White House if, if, if they ask for that again. Michael? Well, you know, it's like we saw once in one of the debates, wasn't it, um, that it, there was an accusation that a question was being fed or questions were being fed um, to debate participants. And obviously that's not fair in a, in a debate, in a and so maybe there's an analogy here, but I'm not so sure that giving him a question saying, I'm going to ask you, what are your plans with respect to the debt ceiling? Or mm -hmm. what do you think about the fact that China has encircled Taiwan? I mean, in some sense, giving a question like that in advance perhaps allows for a more thoughtful answer. As opposed to, you know, an off the cuff, let me think about that, we'll get back to you type of answer. So I'm not I'm not so sure. The debate is obviously very worrisome. This, it seems to me, less so. And in fact, there may be some advantage that you might get a, a more informed, thoughtful response. Mm. Because more or less, these um press conferences are pretty cor well choreographed. They know. The White House knows what more or less is going to be asked. Maybe the, not the exact um, words of the question, but they more or less know what topics are on the minds of the collective press. So I'm not. It doesn't worry me that much. Worries me quite a bit. Here's my press pushback against it. Look, the President of the United States is not going to take your question if he finds it something more difficult to answer than he wants to answer, and knowing ahead of time what the questions are allows the White House. To weed out the questions that they don't want heard. 
For example, if Courtney had said, had said, I want to ask a question about Hunter Biden's laptop, what are the chances that he would have called on Courtney in that press conference? Absolutely fucking zero. This is it's it, not being prepared. Well, is, no, just, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not being okay. prepared is not what this is about. This is about a choreographed staged event. And by the way, the reporters take advantage of this so they can get called on. You know, what's in it for the reporter? I, I'm gonna guess if I play ball with the advanced staff and I tell them something they want to hear. Maybe, just maybe, I'll be selected to ask my question. So I think it's a disingenuous effort on the fact, uh, on the effort of reporters in order for them to be heard. And I think it's a disingenuous on the, on the staff and the president. These are staged, choreographed reality shows. And by the way, I do want, I, I do want an off-the-cuff answer because I don't want the, I want to know exactly what the president is thinking and I want to know how important the issue is to him. If I ask him a question and he's got time to investigate and find the answer and then come back to me, I don't know how strong his feelings are about that issue. I, I want to hold his feet to the fire in that press conference. And I also want to know if he's able to put together a cogent thought about the issue without him and the staff researching it and bring it to, bringing it to me. For all those reasons, I'm going to fall... I, I'll, I'll fall on the sword that that was given to me by by Helen saying, ask a question and never. And by the way, when I've been asked by any staff and not just this one, in fact, this one, they stopped asking me what I would ask because I always tell them, I don't know, I'll think of something by the time you call on me. They hate that answer they, and they don't want to call on you because they don't know what you're going to ask. So my, I, I find it very, very difficult to I, I find this. A, a very troublesome uh, event, and I find it um, not only troublesome, but I find it um, enlightening in the fact that the President of the United States feels that he has to be briefed about what's going to be asked him before he's asked the question. And I'm not saying anything against this President, and I don't believe he has the, the problems with being cogent that some of the uh, naysayers say that he has. I've seen Donald Trump act far more uh, mentally feeble than than joe biden but nonetheless with all that being said it's a test and the president must be tested and we must test him and giving him a cheat sheet to the answers is not what we're there about and i will never agree with that so i'm sorry that's my that's my strong vociferous complaint against it go ahead michael you you're gonna no i think it, it it's all it's all well taken brian what what you say uh i i just think and I'm not a journalist who sits in these rooms, so I defer to you. And I'll say that both of you are absolutely right. So you each, <laughs> you each get one after. You're, Can I put that trailing, one on my tombstone? <laughs> yeah, you're trailing, two, you're trailing two to one going into the third period. But, <laughs> but uh, I guess I just, I just, as an observer of these things on television, I always thought that when they get asked hard questions that they weren't expecting, they really don't answer them. Um, sometimes they do. And you'll be surprised sometimes by the answers. Yeah. But anyway, I, I defer to you guys. Um, whatever you think John is, is the right way to go is well, fine with yeah. me. Let me, I'll pull the curtain back here. I always felt when I was at the white house every day that the, that we called it the two and two format when another world leader comes, uh, the U.S. press gets two questions and the foreign press gets two questions. I always felt 
like, and I still do, that is a flawed format. And it, it's a lot more choreographed than if the yeah. president gets up there alone in the East Room or the Rose Garden and does a 90-minute press conference on his own because they can't script 90 minutes of questions. They can't get all the topics and, and, and questions that they want. That is a more free-flowing uh, form format, better exchanges, better answers, um, and a lot more questions. So part of the part of the problem here is that that really scripted tight two and two format, it allows the White House to have a lot of control over it. And I would I'm like you, Brian, I would like to see the president. I mean, he just announced he's running for a second term. He's yeah. 80 years old. He needs to stand there for an hour, hour and a half and take a lot of questions. Um, now, I did want to ask you, Brian, you mentioned that when you were asked for your question, you always said, I'll think of one. What about being asked for a t one topic area? Well, see, that's I agree with you there. Here's the thing where I find them disingenuous in this. And 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 the previous administration was the same way. I remember a time when Larry Speaks walked through where we worked in the basement of the White House, you know, in the, in the West Wing through the lavateria and downstairs and all the booths and would conduct conversations with the press yeah. independently of the day they were going to do a press conference, which, you know, Reagan never did anyway, but you know, uh, Mike McCurry, the same way Joe Lockhart would. And sometimes, you know, before Mike McCurry put everything on camera, we would often drift up into his office in the morning and he would hold an informal gaggle. Here's, Here's pulling the, the curtain back a little bit for you, Michael. And, and we would sit there and talk about issues. And he would say, well, what's, mm -hmm. what are you concerned about? And as all of them used to tell us, they would get as much from those as we got from them. They would find out what the American people were concerned about. They, it helped change policy, uh, administration policy. There is not that interaction between the White House staff and the right. White House press corps today. They right. sit on their side of the door. We sit on ours. And sometimes, John, you were there during, there was far more during the Trump years of reporters going up to the, the and, oh, and yeah. standing in line for a long time oh, yeah. just to talk for a briefly two or three <laughs> minutes with the press secretary. Sometimes today I find myself the only one there and I'm going, that's, the fuck is everybody? Why is there an, any yeah. interaction? I did that in both the Obama and, and Trump White Houses. It, it, when you first told me that, uh, you know, you, it was March, April of the first year, uh, right after he was sworn in. And it, I'm shocked that that still is the case, that there aren't more people uh, up there trying to have those candid, you know, five minute conversations yeah. with, uh, with with Corinne or or one of her top deputies. I mean, those were always the the best conversations for me, the best interaction. They don't even ask anymore. You you go up there to have a conversation, and it's almost like they're surprised that you're bringing up issues. And that to me is that's the you know he wouldn't have to have a a placard, a card with a picture and a pronunciation guide. I mean, maybe he would for you know in a face, but the question on it. You wouldn't need that if the press secretary would, and the press staff were actually doing their jobs mm. and going down and talking to the press and finding out what it is that we're concerned about. We have many concerns and, you know, and, and they can gripe all they want about Fox or News Nation or, or OAN or any of the others, you know, the far out whatever. But the simple fact of the matter is if you go and you talk, it's communications, folks.
Yeah. With no, and so I have no problem to, you know, that long winded answer to your question. I got no problem telling them the issues that I'm interested in. I do that anyway. I walk up, I go, look, I need, you know, or I'll call, you know, a member of the NSC or I'll call, you know, my sources in the White House and go, look, I'm tracking this. I need to know that. I'll get back to you, Brian. Someone on our team will get back to you. Fine. But why in the hell aren't they initiating that? That's their job. And I wish they would do their job. I'm just getting old. But anyway, we're going we, we're gonna to move on before we go to our next break. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Michael, I'm gonna, I, I'll let you do this. When, this is the big news of the week, I think, in, in the Donald Trump uh, <laughs> end of the world. Mike Pence testifies. Does it matter? Are we closer to a a, a um, indictment there? What exactly? And, and I got to say before anybody else says it, Jack Smith. I keep looking at pictures of him, and he looks like Coach Beard from Ted Lasso. That said, let's go. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> go ahead, Mike. Where are we with the Pence? Well, Michael Pence is a person who can help the prosecutors divine knowledge and intent in. Donald Trump, perhaps target of their investigation. Prosecutors are always trying to find evidence to help them prove knowledge and intent. And Pence was able, is able, I think I say was, because he was in the grand jury and testified. I'm hoping that he was forthcoming. So I'll put it that he is able to, whether he did or not, the prosecutors are the only ones who know in him. Pence can provide critical evidence on both knowledge and intent as it relates to the formation of the big lie, the false electors scheme, you know, the, the Green Bay sweep that Navarro <laughs> um, divined. He can provide um, critical evidence of Trump's state of mind in the hours before um, the insurrection. And in fact, probably even up to the moment of the insurrection, we know that he didn't call Pence once Pence went into hiding, but we know that he did call him and he called him names about his desire for Pence to close down the certification. So he can offer firsthand evidence of, of Trump's state of mind and his knowledge and intent that only perhaps Mark Matthews um, can uh, give. Meadows? Mark Meadows, sorry. Yeah. Mark Meadows can give, right. Um he also will corroborate, presumably, testimony from his own chief of staff, Mark Short, and from um, Jacobs, the lawyer who uh, testified before the January 6th committee. So he's got an important role to play, and he may also have information that relates to people like Eastman, Navarro, Giuliani in the run-up to the January 6th event. So I think he's a an important witness in the scheme of things. You know, I've talked to you. Should, we, know, should, we, should we divine anything out of the fact that he was there for seven hours? That they had a lot to ask him because <laughs> he, he was in Cuba. He was no, because I don't, I don't mean that flippantly. He was at critical stages of this uh, saga. Cause remember, it's not just the day of January 6th that the prosecutors are looking at. They're looking at, false electors. They're looking at how the January 6th um, rally was funded. They're looking at 
the, the formation and propagation of the big lie, including the false electricity. Pence was well, let, there let me ask you this real quick. All, all along it, the way. Let me ask you this. Do you think at any point in time they asked him why he didn't get in the car with the Secret Service? Probably. Probably. Sure. I would. You would. Yeah. Um, uh, but but that's not as important. That's not as important. I mean, he might say that he didn't get in the car because it was his sworn duty to be there and he didn't want to not be there and he had no assurance that he would get back there if he left. But that's not as important to a prosecutor. What a prosecutor wants to know is, what did Donald Trump tell you? What was, in your mind, Donald Trump's knowledge of the fact that what he was saying was untrue. Because remember, Donald Trump could take a defense of, I honestly thought that I had won. Yes, people had told me this, but I had information points from people who tell me that this was um, really a fraud. And I was acting in, in good faith. You may not agree with me, but I was acting in good faith. If Mike Pence can say, that's not true. He knew he lost. But he was just not about to give up power. And so he was going to embark on an unconstitutional, illegal scheme right. to retain it. That That is, you know, end of the game type of evidence. And so we'll have to see whether he has that knowledge. And if he has that knowledge, whether he's willing to uh, give it to the prosecutors, because he has not been very forthcoming. No, he has says of Pence, oh, you know, he, he's a hero. He didn't leave the Capitol. Good for him. He didn't leave the Capitol. But if this is a symphony, he's a one-note player because yeah. he didn't testify before the January 6th committee. He didn't volunteer before the grand jury. He has fought everything along the way. So, yes, good for you. You did one nice thing. Um, but everything else you've done is obstructionist. So what we don't know is when he went into the grand jury for seven hours, whether they kept saying to him, come on, Pence, I, I can't believe that you don't remember. Tell me the what happened that day. And if he says, well, I just don't recall. If he got, you know, if he went that I don't recall route, they could be seven hours of frustration on the yeah, prosecutor's part. Keep saying, we don't believe you. I'm going to ask you it one more time. What was said to you on that call on January 6th when we have only one side of it? What was said? If he says, I don't really recall. Or he says, all I recall is that he, you know, he called me a name. Um, he told me in good faith that he thought the election was rigged and that I should, you know, help save democracy. You know, he could, he could, there's no way of knowing what he will, he will say. So anyway, Brian, that answers your uh, question. Yeah, uh, I, I will if, say that he, if, go ahead. Sorry, just want to finish because I didn't answer the last part of your question, which was, if he was truthful, if he was forthcoming, if he has knowledge of, of Trump's Oh. state of mind is his knowledge and intent and if he has most importantly knowledge that trump knew that he lost then this baseball game that we're watching with with jack smith is somewhere in the seventh inning uh ah. it's, it's closing in on um uh, the calling of the um closers and when <laughs> bring in the relief man let's close it out when do you think that will happen I don't know because I don't know what Penn said, and I don't know what most importantly, what's up with Meadows. Because Meadows too was at the heart of this. You know, I call this a hub and spoke conspiracy. Yeah. We've got people in the hub and 
spokes like Giuliani and Eastman and Clark doing little aspects of it, but there's a hub of people who are the real um, knowledge leaders and and uh, Trump being the you know the the conspirator conspiratorial leader. They're in the hub, you know, and they're they're in the outer rings of this of this hub. Um, and so you you don't think that well if Meadows and Pence came forward, do you think that would be enough? From what we know from the public uh, reporting on this stuff, it seems to me that Meadows and Pence, more than any two people um, that you can expect to be truthful, because I don't, I don't expect that would be the case with Bannon or Stone or Don Jr., um, well, <laughs> so I mean, those are other people who have knowledge what was going on here, but they're 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 unlikely they're to lie. testify or yeah. tell testify truthfully. In in my opinion, that's not to disparage them or call them liars, but I don't think that they would be forthcoming. Um, they would be very reluctant um, witnesses if they if they were forced to show up, and probably would take the fifth. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was wondering about Pence. But yeah. John, let me let me. Kick it over to you. You've you and I both have covered uh, Mike Pence. Do you think he'd be forthcoming? Well, it depends on which Mike Pence showed up. Did Ooh. did the Mike Pence excellent do... point, John Bennett? Excellent. <laughs> Thank point. you. I got one on the board now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so did the Mike Pence show up? Who has expressed um, in his own way criticism of Donald Trump for January sixth and the. Uh, the election denialism and the big lie, because if that Mike Pence showed up, then um, everything that that Michael said about time to bring in the time to bring in the the big righty to close this thing out uh, is true. But if the Mike Pence there there are there are two more Mike Pence's that might have shown up, and they're kind of related. One is the institutionalist who wants to be president and wants to occupy. Uh, a White House and an, and uh, a presidency with all of its powers and its executive privilege. So he might not have wanted to uh, weaken executive privilege or um, in any way diminish the often elastic powers of the presidency. And then there's the third Mike Pence, and that's the one that we covered, Brian, uh, the loyalist yes. to Donald Trump, Mike Pence, who's also the Mike Pence who still thinks he can be president in a party that chanted hang Mike Pence on January 6th yes. and brought a damn gallows to the Capitol, which uh, I saw and, right. and, and watched them as they screamed, hang Mike Pence. Right. So if politician Mike Pence was sitting in that chair, when I assume a conference room somewhere, um, then he probably took the fifth and just like institutionalist Mike Pence uh, exerted executive privilege. So we don't know. It might come out. Uh, Pence World does talk. It's not as buttoned up, but um, it's not like people talk willy nilly. They Pence's surrogates talk when the boss wants something out there. Yeah, and we both know Mark Short. Right, and I think it's interesting that we haven't heard anything yet about what Mike Pence says. Maybe they're saving that for down the road. Um, but if if Pence wants some of this out there it'll get out there and remember one thing um, brian to to john's point that when pence received the subpoena, he challenged the subpoena on right, uh, right. 
speech speech or debate clause grounds, saying that when he was there in his ceremonial role as president of the Senate, they couldn't ask him any questions about that because the speech or debate clause covered it. And the Dang. court said, yeah, to a certain extent, that's true. And there may be some areas that are covered by that. But broadly speaking, efforts by Trump to prevent Pence from testifying using executive privilege failed. That's what the court just ruled the other day. And that's why Pence is in there. So Pence has got no executive privilege protection. Okay. But he does have some limited speech or debate um, clause protection. So we don't know how broadly he'll try to interpret speech or debate. Um, gotcha. But but if it's a pure executive privilege question, that has been determined to be off the table as a protection for what Pence says. Okay. Last question I'll ask before uh, our final break. Um, the other case that uh, came to uh, light this week with Donald Trump is the civil case, the rape case, uh, with uh, Eugene Carroll, I guess. And um, uh, Michael, does it mean anything that Trump isn't showing up for this civil case? Should we imply any, infer it? Uh, his uh, They've certainly raked her over the coals as attorneys have, but he has not been present do you think that in any way will have sway with the jury or do you think it means anything legally? I think that it's always advisable for a defendant who's saying that something isn't true to be in, in the, in the courtroom. I just think that that's, that's smarter lawyering than not, but maybe the jury says he is Donald Trump. He is running for president and we'll give him a pass. So it's a New York jury. Um, we don't know how many people <laughs> are from Manhattan versus Staten Island or, yeah. or Queens. They're very different. They're very different people, which depending which bureau, borough you, you come from. Are they um, Yankee fans? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. But I, I, I don't think um, the fact that he's not there is is legally significant. I think it's just, you know, sort of optically significant and, you know, the jurors will be instructed to ignore the fact that he's he's not there. He doesn't have to be there. Um, and I think the, the the case will you know hinge on a couple of things. One is, do they believe um, Ms. Carroll? And what about the other evidence that is allowed to come in too? The the Access Hollywood tape was presented. In, in evidence, and there are other women who have been able to testify to say that Trump did essentially the same thing to them. So you've got now, in this case, corroborative evidence, both out of Trump's mouth, the Hollywood, Access Hollywood tape, two other women who claim the same thing, and Jean Carroll, who, who seems a credible witness. And I thought that the cross-examination of her was just... Uh, horrible yeah um, from the standpoint you know it's sort of like you dressed pretty you know remember the old days you yeah. dressed pretty um, you had it coming you had it coming you you were in you know that's how that's what that cross-examination um smelled like to me you know sort of horrible misogynistic sort of um cross-examination by a bully of a of a of a lawyer and i don't think that that's going to help 
in any way because it feeds the narrative, if you will, that Trump is a bully, his lawyer is a bully. Here's this, you know, woman who's come forth and you know being accused of, well, why didn't you scream? Or your pantyhose wasn't torn. You know, that's that, you know, if I'm a right. woman on that jury, I'm outraged by those by those questions. Does and it so, have to be a, a unanimous jury in the civil case? You know, it's a great question that I don't know that I know the answer to in New York. Next yeah, week. That's... Next week I'll know I'll know. <laughs> there you go. Well, maybe maybe um uh, I'll I'll think about it over the break. <laughs> John, but, what you got? Well, you know, I'll I'll go to the politics of this and yes, please, because um, that's the... in a way, yeah. Since that's what we do here, yeah. Uh, in a you know, in a way, there's we don't see in the polling that all of the the uh, political related and business related uh, legal woes of Trump are affecting him at all. The the January sixth stuff, the election overturning stuff, the business fraud that he's already charged with in New York City. In fact, he's pulling away from Ron DeSantis in the field. And I tweeted uh, after some polling that came out late this week. He's not only pulling away, he's lapping, lapping the field. him. <laughs> so maybe this is Democrats um, very, very hard to listen to, as Michael said, um, very hard to imagine these scenes, uh, horrific, um, could, could be another way that that joe biden and democrats could in the general election ding trump because remember trump lost uh, a lot of suburban women to joe biden in 2020 that had gone for trump in 2016 we saw that again in the midterm elections where they broke uh with democratic congressional and senate candidates and even at the state level so um if they may have to to use this and donald trump chose to continue to be a politician and everything's fair game. And if this is a close election, um, you know, Joe Biden, Joe Biden, as I wrote this week, you know, he wants to finish to finish the job. He has domestic policy things that he wants to do. He wants to to see through this war in Ukraine and try to, to be the one or one of the ones who brings it to an end. But part of finishing that job is defeating Donald Trump again. It's clear. It's just so clear. And I would I would think that Biden would view this as fair game at a certain point uh, to bring this up, especially because, as Michael said, other women have come forward to accuse. Trump oh, yeah, of- I think it's it's destined to be part of a campaign commercial. And, and, and I Biden- think it's a cumulative effect of these charges, not one specific that will do him in. I I think the stress yeah. level of all these charges and these uh, accusations against Donald Trump. He, I think he's just one cheeseburger and some, you know, a macaroni and cheese fried macaroni and cheese dish away from gacking out. <laughs> I, I just think I I just I just see it differently. Biden didn't in the in the six places that matter, the six states that matter. Biden didn't win by that much. No, this is again a photo finish. As we sit here right now, it's a photo finish. And I think anything's fair game if Joe Biden really is going to play to finish the job. And a big part of that is is ending trump's political career at least as a candidate yeah there you go uh so Brian, you want to finish well, it up I say, new york seems that uh non-unanimous 10 to 2 uh verdict would be acceptable the the the, the i made a quick look at the law it says unanimous verdict not required 
a verdict rendered by not less than five six of the jury. So that's ten, ten. five six of twelve is is ten. ten, and so you could have a ten to two um, split, ten for um, uh, Gene Carroll and two for Donald Trump, and uh, he'll be required to pay civil damages. Because remember, this is a this is a civil case. Civil. Yeah. No one's going to jail here. Um, this is just a determination that because you raped me, I am entitled to monetary compensation. Because you defamed me, the other aspect of this case, I'm entitled to monetary compensation. And if it isn't unanimous, Donald Trump will say something about it. It was all rigged and part of the deep state. Well, <laughs> we'll uh, take a short break and we'll have some final thoughts when we come back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. I have some letters to the editor, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll hold those till next week. Um, because I, I want to get your all's final take. You had brought it up uh, a little bit, John, about, you know, Biden running again, which was the other, you know, big news. He hasn't really, he put out a videotape. He hasn't really made much of it. It's been understated. Donald Trump is tweeting out shit or, or sending out emails like, uh, Biden refuses to campaign. I don't know if I think he's campaigning by trying to do the job, or at least that's what he's saying. But your thoughts, uh, quick thoughts on what you think, both of you think of the Biden announcement and what it portends for the country. We'll start with you, Michael. Well, I like the idea that he's looking forward and he's saying, let's complete the job. I always thought that political campaigns are about the future and your articulation of a vision of the future and not some dystopian um, complaint about the, the the past. And so I think that that video that he did was pretty nicely produced. And he says what his campaign is about, the future, uh, the protection of democracy, the protection of the middle class, uh, the protection of the environment. These are the things that he says uh, have still to be done and I'm capable of, of doing that. So let's, you know, stay the court. It, you know, doesn't make uh, sense to switch horses in midstream when we're, you know, when so we're you have the... seen the movie wag the dog. <laughs> yeah. Anything, while, while, you know, but no, uh, while we're making progress and he, he can point to progress. I mean, the economy is doing well. Inflation is 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 declining. Um, jobs are being made. Uh, environmental protections are being instituted. Uh, infrastructure is actually something that is under being undertaken. I mean, whether you agree with how significant these things are or not, um, 
he has a record that he can actually run on. And if the economy <laughs> cooperates with him, um, you know, this year, if the economy cooperates with him, the stock market stays, you know, strong or increases and inflation decreases and jobs keep being made. He's got an argument. The problem he has, of course, is his age. And if you look at the polling, both in uh, Democrat and independent voters, they're worried about his age. That's the thing that, you know, if he was a, a 60 year old, I think that he'd have a very strong chance of being reelected. As an 80 year old, I think it's less clear. John? I thought uh, the president's rollout was uh, exactly what he needed. Uh, someone pointed out this week that when President Obama announced his reelection campaign, uh, he didn't hold a rally. Uh, now, he did, you know, fundraisers and, and other things, but he didn't hold an actual campaign rally for about 13 months. So right. this is the same playbook uh, that Obama used or similar playbook that Obama used. Um, and I thought really... You know, the president, you know, they, they put the video out Tuesday morning around six, right at 6 a.m. or right before. And um, and then the president midday gives a lunch hour address to a labor union association at the Hilton in Washington. He didn't mention his reelection. So it's very understated. There was a four more years chant, but he just smiled. Uh, he didn't say anything. So I thought that was very telling. And then in the Rose Garden, when he was asked about it, um, you know, again, understated. But I thought last night he really hit uh, a good tone. Yeah, he did a fundraiser here in Washington to, you know, Democratic supporters and donors. And and I tweeted out that the whole he he Biden himself summarized his whole campaign message, at least for now, in two tight, clean, easy to understand uh, paragraphs. And this is per the pool that was with him. Quote, here's the bottom line. It's very simple. We need you. Our democracy needs you because this is about our freedoms. MAGA Republicans are trying to take us backwards, but together we're not going to let them do it. We must finish this job. Look, let's keep growing the economy from the middle out to the bottom up, and let's protect a woman's right to choose and codify Roe versus Wade. What else does he need to say at this point? No, I agree. That's for me. Um, at the end of the day, I think it was an understated rollout, and I understand why it was understated rollout. Part of it is he's trying to show that he's doing the job, right? Not just campaigning for the job like Trump, and that he's had significant successes, which he has had. Again, I think his communication staff sucks, so I think that that they've had problems getting that message out. Michael's right. If you were 60 instead of 80, he would have a far easier role in it. But mm -hmm. I still think at the end of the day, he's a reluctant warrior in this. I think he's doing this because he feels it's his civic duty, kind of like uh, Jimmy Carter, doing what you can with all you can, as long as you can. Um, I think there is, I think one of the things that people miss about uh, Joe Biden is that he is, um, he has a strong Catholic faith and is, is very much uh, tied to his faith. And I believe that trip to uh, Ireland was kind of a nostalgia. I don't think it was like a bucket list thing for him. I don't think he, I, I think he is resolved to running, but at the end of the day, I'm not so sure that if he, if all things were being equal, he would want to run. Now he has said that even if 
uh, Trump weren't in the race, that he would still be running. But I'm going to end this conversation with this. I don't know that at the end of November of 2024, if both of these men will be on the ticket. And I am waiting to see if um, Joe Biden pulls an FDR and finds a Harry Truman to put on the ticket with him because the conversation we haven't had is that the rank and file and Democrats are not very fond of the vice president. Now, people criticize all the time for that statement, but it is a fact. And that's gonna, I, I think to Michael's point, those who have any doubt about him at 80 versus 60 will look down ticket to see who the VP is. And that may further a conversation in the future about Kamala Harris being on the ticket. But so far, he's he's sticking by her. So yeah, there's just no way, Brian, that he is replacing an African-American woman who wants to remain on the ticket when that is a critical uh, block of, of his voters. For and what you said would, it, is yeah. unless she wants to remain on the ticket. There is the uh, there's the catchphrase there. Yeah, but And of course, you know, just to close it out, uh, Truman was a complete nobody when he yes. was selected. It wasn't that FDR said, look, I'm old and frail. Get me somebody who I have. Ooh, I'm not in. saying that at all. <laughs> I know. So but, <laughs> but the implication, I thought, was that uh, he was going to go find himself a Harry Truman, implying that Harry Truman was some, you know, oh, find himself a Harry Truman, someone who's unknown and untested. Not a chance. But can, not a chance. Can appeal to uh, some of the same people that she does. But yeah, we'll see. The, only, the only way it would work is if there were a vacancy on the Supreme Court, he put her on the Supreme Court. So she has this lifetime position on the Supreme Court. And then he could he can say, look, I, I'd rather have a Kamala Harris for life on the Supreme Court. Then, as my vice president, so reluctantly, I'm going to put her on the court, and I'm going to find a new bank. Maybe oh, that's the scenario. Michael, but it ain't happening other than that. The actuarial tables tell us that anything can happen between now and November of 2024. But I think I think that and Bennett can tell us the answer to this. I I don't think people vote really on who the vice president is. I think they vote. I think in this case, it, with an 80 year old on the ticket, people will be looking down ticket at the vp john we'll know and we'll know when bennett tells us we'll know in november we'll know on november sometime maybe on so election day is what november 5th yeah we'll, we might know on the 8th or the 9th yeah there you go listen guys thanks for joining us this week uh as always enjoyable uh john plug where we can find you uh cq afternoon briefing subscribe at cq.com and every friday morning on a roll call, uh, my weekly column. And Michael? My podcast is That Said with Michael Zeldin. And per our conversation last week, I just released yesterday my interview with Mark Whitaker on 1966, the year that Black Power changed the civil rights movement. This coming week, Brian, you'll be happy to know that my interview is with Steve Moore. Oh, yeah. Who wrote a book about the founding of the Birchmere, the iconic the, uh, music hall in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And it's a sort of tribute to Gary Olsey, the founder of the uh, Birchmere and conversations about many of the 19,000 acts that have been on their stage. And I'm going there tomorrow to see Peter Noon and Herman's Hermits. There you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And I am your host, Brian Karam. This is Just Ask the Question. The book is called uh, 
free the press and you can catch me on uh, salon for a weekly column and we'll keep it coming. We'll catch you next week.